0: You're listening to a live audio recording from Women's Bible Fellowship at LEFC. This is week number seven of None Like Him. Today's teaching focuses on the truth that God is omnipresent. Okay, ladies, sorry to interrupt your conversation. Um, I'm sure you had some interesting thoughts to share with one another about omnipresent. So when I taught this study a couple years ago, I taught it in the evening WBF class. And a very insightful and wise woman came up to me after last week's lesson when I talked about God being immutable, unchangeable. And when I shared time, uh, shared about the time, I don't know if some of you who weren't here last week, I don't know if you had a chance to listen to it. But when I shared my story about when I had lost sight of God's unchanging character and thought that he had changed slightly, and she said to me, Julie, God showed his love and care for you, because if you remember the story, I was kind of moaning like, God, you need to show me love and care. When he helped you to fix the closet door. And when you found your dog and got the dog back. And she was so right. And yet, I had chose at that time to focus on everything that was going wrong. Instead of focusing on the amazing way that God was helping me. And revealing himself to me and providing for my needs. Um, And that is why it's so critical to love the Lord our God with all of our heart and soul and strength and mind. So that when our feelings are leading us astray, with our mind, we need to bring forth the biblical truths about who God truly is, and then say to ourselves, I believe God. I believe God. Please pray with me. Lord, we thank you that we do know everything communicated to us in the Bible is true about you. Always has been, always will be. And not just to other people, but it's true for us personally. Forgive us, Lord, for when we lose sight of that. Guide us in your spirit. Guide us through your word. Open our minds, Lord, to hear what you want to whisper to each one of us. Thank you that you are ever present with us. What a comfort, Father God. Forgive us for the times that we just ignore that. We love you, Jesus. Thank you for dying for us so that we can be in right relationship with you for all of eternity. Please speak to us now. In your name we pray. Amen. Before looking at this week's attribute of omnipresent, I want to share a quote with you from A.W. Tozer. He said, The teachings of the Holy Scriptures have their origin in the nature of God. They are what they are because God is what he is. Let's keep that in mind. The Bible does not determine or dictate who God is, it just merely communicates to us who God always has been and always will be. So this week we looked at God as omnipresent, the God of infinite place. As with all of the attributes, it's somewhat easy for us to quickly agree and say, oh yes, I I believe that, I know that, God is omnipresent, he's everywhere. But then when we truly start to think about what that means, like a lady at our table during the discussion time pointed out and said when Jen said, not only ever-present, but during every time period, it can be kind of mind-boggling and it can be difficult to fully grasp what that means. Some definitions of omnipresent I've found are limitlessly present, widely or constantly encountered, present everywhere at the same time, present in all places at all times. Jen explained it as there is no place or time where God is not. Tozer describes it as God is near to everything and everyone. The omnipresent God fills heaven and earth, contains heaven and earth, and is present everywhere. He goes on further to explain that if there were any borders to God, any place where God is not, then that place would mark the limits or confines of God. And if God had limits, then he would not be infinite. And we know that God is infinite. Jeremiah 23, 24 states, do I not fill heaven and earth? And this filling isn't just a dwelling in, rather he swallows up all of heaven and earth. If you were to place a huge bucket in the ocean, the ocean water would definitely fill the bucket, but it wouldn't just fill the bucket. It would also surround the bucket, overflow the bucket in all directions. Yes, God fills heaven and earth, but he also fully surrounds it and contains it. The fact that God is omnipresent is what enabled Jesus to go to the right hand of God the Father. He said, I am going to the right hand of God the Father. And yet he also said, Lo, I am with you always. Because Jesus Christ can be instantaneously everywhere omnipresent. I want to read several verses, and some of these were in your homework, but they are worth reading again. Jeremiah 23.23, Am I a God at hand, declares the Lord, and not a God far away? Acts 17.27, That they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him, yet he is actually not far from each one of us. Deuteronomy 31.8, it is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Clearly that promise is for each of us, wherever we are. Psalm sixteen eight: I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. As I said last week about him being unchanging, he is an anchor to keep us steady and safe. And again this week, because he is ever present with us, we will be kept steady and safe and not be shaken. Proverbs fifteen three: the eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. And Psalm 139, worth looking at again, even though you already looked at it. Verse 7, where shall I go from your spirit? or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in shale, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. Closely related to God's omnipresence is his imminence. Imminence, I-M-M-A. Not I-M-M-I, which means coming soon, but his imminence. You can't really separate the two. Imminent means remaining within, indwelling, inherent. And the doctrine of imminence states that the divine is encompassed or manifested in the material world. God is existing within. In other words, God is actively operating within the world. He sustains it and is continually present. His omnipresence is not just a passive thing, like he's here in the room, but that's kind of it. He's active, operating. The website Compelling Truth clarifies it further. While God is far above and transcendent of this world, he has chosen to place himself in direct connection with it as creator, sustainer, And Savior. Isaiah 57 15 says, For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place, and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit. We talked about that a couple weeks ago, what a blessing that is, that not only does he inhabit eternity, He dwells among and within us, and Jen pointed out that his presence is thankfully not dependent on our worthiness, but on his will. Tozer says that God penetrates everything. God is above all things, beneath all things, outside of all things, and inside of all things. God is above, but he's not pushed up. He's beneath but he's not pressed down. He's outside, but he's not excluded. He's inside, but he's not confined. God is above all things presiding, beneath all things sustaining, outside of all things embracing, and inside of all things filling. That is the imminence of God. There is not any place where God is not. And Jen wrote that God is not just present, but he is fully present, which allows for a free communication with him. I'm sure you have all experienced someone being with you but not fully present. Maybe your husband, as he's watching a sports game, and you are trying to converse with him. Maybe you, as you're cooking dinner, and your child is trying to tell you a story about what happened at school that day. All of us at times are guilty of being physically present, but not fully so. Not completely engaged, completely aware, completely attuned. Not so with God. Again, we should respond in awe and gratitude. Tozer poses that if we were to ask God, where are you? He always would answer, I am where you are. Where are you, God? I am wherever you are, next to you. He is fully with us, completely engaged, and aware, and attentive, penetrating our lives. So why does it matter that God is omnipresent and can never change from being that? Well, for one, his presence with us, his nearness to us, is not dependent on our feelings. Even if we are struggling, which I'm sure we all have at times, to sense him, to sense his nearness, we have to rest in the knowledge and belief that God is present everywhere, always and fully there. We cannot trust our perception of God's closeness. We don't doubt the existence of the Son even when heavy clouds completely block it from view and we can't see its rays or feel its warmth. God is a spirit, an omnipresent one. Therefore, he can never be any farther away and he can never be any nearer. Another reason it matters, as the psalmist says, there is nothing hidden from God. That can be very convicting and maybe even a little intimidating, like, Oops, God was there when I lost my temper. God was there when I gossiped. God was there when I adjusted the truth a little bit. But rather than evoking a negative reaction, it should actually make us grateful because that reality may prevent us from committing some grave sins. It may keep us from fleeing or keep help us to flee from temptation to guard our tongue to shield our eyes, to watch our steps, knowing that God is right there. When our kids were little, I don't even know if this song is still around, but when our kids were little, we used to often sing with them the song, be careful little hands what you do, be careful little eyes what you see, be careful little ears what you hear, be careful little feet where you go, for the Father up above is looking down with love, so be careful. And I know theologically, we don't, you know, I'm talking about God being very present. This song is saying, you know, he's up above just looking down. But keep in mind, it's a kid's song. Um, But it is not some harsh, judgmental eye in the sky that is just waiting to catch us so that he can punish us. It is because of his great mercy and compassion for us, he is ever with us to help us, to strengthen us, to keep us from making a mess of our life or of someone else's. His omnipresence should also greatly assure us because we know that we are never alone. Scripture's clear. God will never forsake us. Nothing can separate us. He goes before And behind we do not need to fear and what makes his constant imminent fully engaged presence even more comforting are all of his other attributes because this constant presence in our day-to-day life is infinitely loving and wise and good and merciful and knows all and is all powerful could there be any better presence to have with us I earlier read the first half of Deuteronomy 31.8 that said, It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. The second half says, He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. Remember last week I said that because God is unchanging, He must keep each and every promise to us. Well, here's one to cling to. He will never leave you. He cannot stop being omnipresent, and that includes in your life. Okay, so we believe God is omnipresent, present everywhere, and we understand that it's important. Then why do we often feel that he's far away? Or even if not far away, why don't we fully sense or feel his close, intimate presence with us? Tozer points out that the Bible plainly teaches the doctrine of divine omnipresence. But he says for the masses of professed Christians and how they live on a daily basis, he claims this is the era of the absentee God. Let me read some more of what he says. I believe that most Christians do suffer from a sense of divine remoteness. They know God is with them. And they're sure they're God's children. They can take you to their marked New Testament and prove to you that they're justified and regenerated, that they belong to God, that heaven is going to be their home, and that Christ is their advocate. They've got the theology. They know all this in their head, but they're suffering from a sense of remoteness. To know something in your head is one thing. To feel it in your heart is another And I think most Christians are trying to be happy without having a sense of the presence. Surely, he says, God would not have created us to be satisfied with nothing less than his presence if he intended that we should go on living with nothing more than his absence. He has created us to long for and need his presence. And yet, as the hymn says, Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Thankfully, as C.S. Lewis states, we may ignore, but we can nowhere evade the presence of God. Thankfully, it doesn't depend on our worthiness or our feelings, but on his will. The story is told of a married couple driving in the car and actually you will realize how old this story is. For those of you my era, you'll remember that you young ones have, maybe have no concept of this, that cars used to have a front seat that went the whole width across, it was a bench seat. There was nothing in the middle, no gear shift or anything. So anyway, this, this married couple is driving in the car and the wife complains to her husband that we never sit close anymore like we did in those early days of wedded bliss. And the husband calmly says, well, I'm still in the exact same place, in the driver's seat with my hands on the wheel. The wife is complaining about the distance between them, but who is the one who moved? If we feel that God is sometimes distant, we need to remind ourselves that it is not him who moved away. He can't. He's everywhere at all times, fully present. So why do we drift? I think it can be intentional, and I think it can sometimes be accidental. It's intentional due to sin, and we've seen that from the very first humans to ever live. Genesis 3, 8 through 9, describes how Adam and Eve ran and hid themselves from the presence of God after eating of the forbidden fruit. God called to them, where are you? They chose to distance themselves due to their shame and guilt, knowing they had disobeyed his clear command. Or how about Jonah? He refused to obey God's call in his life, so he boarded a ship thinking that he could escape the presence of God. His disobedience led him to, he thought, distance himself from God, but we know that he couldn't do that. And in Luke 5, Peter had been fishing all night and had caught nothing. Jesus comes along and tells him to put down his nets. And Peter resisted at first. But after he complied and brought in a massive amount of fish, he said to Jesus, Lord, depart from me, for I am a sinful man. He mistakenly thought that his sin disqualified him from being in the Lord's presence. Jeremiah 23:24 says, "Can a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him?" Declared the Lord, "Do I not fill heaven and earth?" It is the human heart. It is our guilt and shame that puts distance between us and God. We see this even in our children. When they know they have disobeyed, what do they often do? They run and hide. Maybe it's because they fear the punishment, or maybe it's because they just don't want to see the disappointment in mommy or daddy's face. Are we so different? Do we fear God's reaction? Do we dread the possibility of his great disappointment with us when we've messed up? We focus on what a human tendency or reaction would be instead of the infinite mercy and grace of a loving And forgiving Father. And the sad irony is that when we have fallen into sin, when we are burdened by guilt and shame, that's when we need Him the most. When we need to confess and be forgiven and cleansed from all unrighteousness. When we need to receive His loving grace and mercy and be restored into that close, right relationship with Him. And yet we flee. We distance ourselves. In addition to a purposeful moving away, there are times that we unintentionally drift from God. We talked about this at my table. We, come, we become too busy, or so we tell ourselves to read our Bible, to pray, to spend time with the Lord. We fall out of the habit of attending church on a consistent basis. And wow, shocker, all of a sudden one morning we wake up and say to ourselves, the Lord just feels so distant. He's not near to me like he once was. We deceive ourselves by putting the blame on him. Does he not care about my struggles, my life, me? When we neglect to spend intentional and quality time with someone, distance in the relationship is inevitable. I've had so many friends over the years, who at one point knew everything about my life on a daily basis, knew my thoughts, my feelings, what I was doing that day. But we stopped living in geographic proximity to each other. And then the phone calls became less frequent. And then the long letters were replaced by an annual Christmas card. And before you know it, that once very close friend has become somewhat of a stranger, a fond memory. The greater issue at stake here is that the more we drift from God, the more likely we are to fall into sin, which takes us back to the first cause of the distance, purposeful due to our shame and guilt. Before Peter denied Jesus three times, Scripture tells us that he was following at a distance, falling back further from the Lord made it easier for him to deny his savior. Tozer states that it also seems God's far away because there is such dissimilarity between our moral characters. God is holy. We are sinful. God is perfect. We are flawed. God is infinite. We are finite. Could there be a bigger chasm? We need to realize that, yes, God is distant from us in his character, But because of his great love for us, and incomprehensible desire to dwell among his people, he is not distant from us in his presence or in relationship. Again, a reason to stand in awe and gratitude. Should we not show that gratitude to him by not moving away, by not drifting? So what do we do when God feels distant? when we are not sensing his omnipresence, his imminence. Well, what do we do with our husband, or our friends, or our family members? We make it a point to spend time together. We strive for some deep conversation to reconnect. We make the effort to schedule dinner. We reach out. We care enough to bring back the closeness. We are intentional. We make it a priority. I've heard it said that no matter how far we have drifted from God, it is only one step back. I would disagree slightly and say it's not even a full step. It's just merely a turning, a turning to him. Brother Lawrence was a monk who lived hundreds of years ago, and he wrote a book, The Practice of the Presence of God. If you've never read it, I recommend it. It's a short, easy read. His job was washing dishes at the monastery where he and the other monks lived. He led an extremely simple and unglamorous life. Yet he was determined that he would do that mundane mundane task day in and day out to the glory of God. And he did that by being ever aware of his presence. He practiced the presence of God Acts 17:28. Earlier I read verse 27 about seeking God and finding Him as He is not far off. Verse 28 says, "For in Him we live and move and exist." To be aware of that is to practice the presence of God." Psalm 16:8, "I have set the Lord continually before me. Because He is at my right hand, I will not be shaken." David wrote that psalm, and he knew it had to be an intentional, mindful choice to set the Lord continually before him. Life gets busy. I don't need to tell you that. There are endless demands on our time and on our attention. It is unfortunately way too easy to put time with God low on the to-do list, and then we drift and we feel distant. We don't sense his close presence. Yet, if we set him continually, if we are purposeful about that, to set him continually before his promise is that we will not be shaken. Tozer wrote, it is the presence of God that gives bliss to moral creatures, and the absence of God that brings everlasting woe to moral creatures. And it's not truly his absence, but it's the perceived absence. We need to acknowledge, like Jacob did in Genesis twenty-eight sixteen, after he had that dream about the ladder that reaches up into heaven, and he saw the angels going up and down the ladder. And he said, surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. God was there all the time. Jacob was just simply unaware. We need to commit like David did to set the Lord continually before us. He is at our right hand, always wanting to pour out his grace and peace and blessing and comfort on each of us. He is fully present, penetrating your life, fully engaged and attuned to you. What an incredible blessing to know that we worship a God who even in his holiness and sovereign power is ever present with us. Let us choose to live in that truth, fully aware of and grateful for his full and penetrating nearness. Please pray with me. Oh, Lord God, we do stand in awe and gratitude that in your holiness and sovereignty you inhabit eternity, and yet you dwell among us and within us, and your presence is fully engaged with us, fully attuned, fully aware of our every need and desire. Oh, Lord, how foolish we are when we allow ourselves to drift away. Forgive us for when we claim that we are just too busy to spend time with you. Forgive us for when we blame you for the distance, when really it's us that have moved. Forgive us for when we fall into sin and then compound that sin by just living under the guilt and shame and hiding from you. Oh, Lord, may we just run to you in those moments. May we be intentional about setting you continually before us. May we daily remind ourselves. May we wake up and just say, God, you are here with me, and you will be all day. Maybe we fall asleep saying, Lord, you are still right here with me. Thank you, God, for loving us that much. We praise you in your son's precious and holy name. Amen.